You're listening to a sermon preached at Chael English Ministry in Sydney. We believe that God speaks through His Word, the Bible. We pray that as you listen, you will hear God's voice and be moved to worship His Son, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Our loving Father, we thank you so much that you are a God who loves us and who makes yourself known to us. Father, we thank you that we have your word and we have it in English so that we can read it and know you. Father, please do speak to us now through this portion of your word and help us, all of us, to respond rightly. Father, we pray that your word would go deep within our hearts and that we might be people who produce fruit for you. Speak, O Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. I'm sure you've noticed this before, but not everyone wants to be a Christian. Not everyone wants to be a Christian. Not everyone in the world is convinced that Jesus is Lord and King. Not everyone is convinced that Jesus' death and resurrection is the only way we can be saved from sin and allowed into God's home, into heaven. In fact, in most places outside of this building, people will think that you're a bit strange, that you're a bit weird for believing this stuff. A member of our church was uh, telling me recently about her experience. She was at work and she overheard a conversation. And one person at her workplace, they'd just been to a baptism. They went to a baptism service over the weekend, um, and they said that to their workmates, and it was just go from there. It was just stacks on, right? Um, Everyone started jumping in, giving their opinion, and attacking Christianity. Um, Everyone started talking about how ridiculous Christianity is. And they said things like this. You'd have to be a complete idiot to believe all those fairy tales. Someone said this, you'd have to be a complete idiot to believe in this sky fairy. No, no, worse than an idiot, you'd have to be an arrogant, homophobic bigot. It just seemed to her that everyone in a workplace didn't like Christianity. Those people thought that no one in their right mind would ever want to be a Christian. And needless to say, our dear sister, she felt slightly uncomfortable in this conversation at work. You might have had similar experiences, right? Maybe if you've tried sharing the gospel or if you've told your workmates about where you were on the day before, um, and if you're a church person, you might have had similar experiences. And let's admit it, they are uncomfortable. Um, a lot of people that I meet, they ask you, what do you do? I tell them what I do, and it gets, it gets awkward real quick. And then it's very obvious, they try very hard to walk away from me, but I try and keep them there. It's kind of funny now. I just try and keep them there, keep the conversation going. But I reckon they're right. It is weird. I think it is weird that people want to be Christians. I mean, think about it. If God is real, if Jesus is real, If God really did make this world, if he really does sustain this world, like the Bible says he does, if God really does want everyone to love him with their whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, then why can't people see it, right? Why isn't it obvious to people? Why doesn't God make it obvious? If Jesus is real, if he really is God and King and the only Savior, if he really is the only hope for humanity, then why don't people believe him? Like, what is God doing? Right? Have you ever thought that? Like, why did he make things like this? 
Why doesn't he make it more clear? I remember watching a Q&A on TV a couple years ago, and there was this American atheist guy, and he just kept on insisting in a very loud and obnoxious way, he kept on insisting there is no evidence for God. There is no evidence for God. There's no evidence anywhere that God exists. Now, Loki on the side, I don't, I don't buy the argument. Like, how does he know that no evidence exists anywhere that God exists? Like, does he know everything in the whole universe? Objectively, I think it's uh, not a rational argument, but I see where he's coming from. It is strange. I'll give him that. It is strange. It is strange that this God who created the universe doesn't make himself abundantly clear to every single human who ever lived. This American atheist man, uh, he believed what he was saying. He was genuine about what he was saying. He cannot see any evidence for God's existence anywhere. So the question is this, why did God make it that way? Why did God make things that way? Do you get my question? That's the question I want to throw at you today. If God is real, why doesn't everyone believe in him? If Jesus is real, then why does he have so few followers? If the kingdom of heaven is real, then why does it get such a mixed emotion, mixed reaction here on earth? Well, friends, the thing is, this isn't a new question. This isn't a new question. In fact, it was even more of a question back in Jesus' day, back when Jesus came to earth. And if you've been journeying with us the last couple of weeks and months, you would have seen it, right? We've seen it. Over the last couple of weeks, Jesus has come. He's done these amazing miracles, irrefutable. People have seen it. He's brought some extraordinary teaching. And yet, you can think back on how people have been responding to him. Think about it. Quick survey. Remember John the Baptist? How did he respond? Well, he's not sure. He's kind of just like not sure about this Jesus character. He's not really sure if Jesus is the one to come or not. That's John the Baptist. What about the crowds? Remember the crowds? The crowds, they like to see a miracle once in a while for sure. It's a bit of a circus, right? It's kind of like a freak show. They like seeing a miracle once in a while, but it's not changing them. It's not changing them from the inside out. Uh, in fact, many people in the crowds actually say that Jesus is a glutton and a drunkard. They're the crowds. Remember the towns? What about the towns? The towns that have seen most of his miracles, towns like Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum, those towns are refusing to repent. They won't turn and follow Jesus. John the Baptist, not quite sure. Crowds, not quite sure. These towns, not quite sure. What about the religious leaders? The Pharisees and the scribes, the teachers of the law. They're refusing to follow Jesus as well, right? In fact, you might remember, they say that he has a demon. It's crazy. In addition, you might remember... They're actually plotting to kill him. They're planning the murder of Jesus. That's their response. It seems like, so far in Matthew's gospel, it seems like everyone is rejecting Jesus. It's just this very small, motley group of tax collectors and fishermen who are following him. That does seem weird, you have to admit, right? When you read through Matthew's gospel, you ask like, what is going on? Like, God, what, what are you doing here? Why is this kingdom of heaven so seemingly ineffective on earth? Why is this supposedly great and magnificent Jesus, why does he have so few followers? Why is he so not that popular? Why isn't everyone following him? Well, friends, it's with that background in mind that we begin another teaching section in Matthew's gospel. 
Jesus is teaching the crowds, and he's using what are called parables. He's using parables. Look with me at Matthew chapter 13, verse 1 to 3. Verse 1 to 3. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables. Um, The best way to explain what a parable is is actually just to show you a parable. Uh, So the first parable is here. It's a parable about a farmer. A farmer. There's a farmer. He's spreading his seed. And we read that the seed happens to fall in different places where it meets very different fates, very different outcomes. But at the end of the day, the farmer gets his crop. The farmer gets his crop. Look with me at verse 3 to 8. Look at this first parable. Verse 3 to 8. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. All right, friends, there it is, the first parable. On the face of it, it's a bit hard to know what Jesus means, don't you reckon? Like, you read what he said just there, you're like, okay, interesting, but what's the point of this story? What's the point of this story about seed falling in different places? Like, is Jesus uh, condemning wasteful farming practices or something? Or is he maybe advocating for the culling of birds who steal human seeds for crop? Is that what he's talking about? Or maybe, is this like an ad, like an advertisement, some kind of a spray killer for thorny weeds or something like that, right? It's kind of hard to know what he's talking about. Here's my point. With the parable alone, it's hard to understand what Jesus is saying. With the parable by itself, it's hard to get what Jesus means. And for the crowd, it is all they get. It is all they get. There's no explanation for the crowd. Jesus has no explanation for the crowds. He just tells them, listen carefully, because there's more here than meets the eye. That's all he says. That's all he says. He's like, that's the parable. Try to work it out. Try to work out what it means. Look at verse 9. Look at what he says. Verse 9. Whoever has ears, let them hear. That's it. From the crowd's perspective, that's all they get. Uh, We don't know what the crowds uh, made of this parable, but we do know what the disciples did. The disciples, obviously, they couldn't work out what Jesus meant by this parable. They wanted to find out. They wanted to know why Jesus was suddenly being so cryptic, why Jesus was being suddenly so kind of weird. Why is he speaking all of a sudden in parables? And so the disciples, they come to Jesus in private, and they start asking some questions. Look with me at verse 10. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? Why is Jesus speaking in parables? Well, he tells them. He says, I'm doing it deliberately. It's intentional. That's what he says. He says, I'm doing it deliberately because only you, the twelve, Only you are allowed to know the secret. 
It's only you disciples, in other words, people who will come to Jesus, people who will follow Jesus, people who will come and ask for more information, you people, as in the people who actually commit themselves to Christ, Jesus says, it's only you disciples who follow me that will be told the full story. In other words, Jesus is saying, those who have, like have the desire to follow him, those who have this desire, those who have this wantingness to investigate further and deeper, those who have that, they will be given more. They will get the parable explained, but those who have not, those who don't have this desire, those who are on the outside, the people who don't commit to following Jesus, those people who don't follow up with questions for Jesus, they will just get this message in riddles. That's all they'll get. Those who have will be given more. Those who do not have, for them, all they get is this random story about farmers, and it'll mean nothing. They'll just end up ignorant. Look with me at verse 11 and 12. He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And Jesus goes on to say that that's actually God's judgment on the crowds, on the people who won't repent, the people who won't commit to following Jesus. That's God's judgment on them. And at this point, Jesus actually quotes from the Old Testament. Jesus quotes from the book of Isaiah. Back in Isaiah's day, Israel were stubborn. They were unrepentant. They were unwilling to change. This was uh, rewind 700 years before Jesus' day. Uh, It's during the Assyrian invasion, and it's before the Babylonian invasion. At that point, Israel was stubborn. They were arrogant. They were unrepentant. Their hearts, we read, their hearts were calloused. Their hearts were hard to God's word. And Isaiah's mission was to warn them that God's judgment is coming. That's why his message was repent. But God said to Isaiah that his message would actually have the opposite effect. His message would actually harden Israel more. Well, now here in Matthew, Jesus says, that's why I'm speaking to the crowds only in parables. That's why I'm being cryptic, guys. That's why I'm being obscure. It's God's judgment on their calloused hearts. It's God's judgment on their hardened hearts. It's just going to harden them even more. Very interesting, I think. Look with me at verse 13 to 15. Verse 13 to 15, this is why I speak to them in parables. And then quoting from Isaiah chapter six, those seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. That's not the usual way people think about parables, right? You ask most people in church, you ask most people, hey, what's a parable? Explain to me what a parable is. And I reckon most people will respond by saying, a parable is kind of like an illustration. It's kind of like an illustration. It's where you use like an earthly story, for example, like a farmer sowing seeds, to illustrate a heavenly reality or a spiritual reality. I reckon if you ask most Christians uh, why Jesus used parables, I reckon they might say something like, well, it's because he wanted to explain things. It's because he wanted to clarify things. It's because he wanted to illustrate things. 
And sometimes, to be honest, that is what Jesus is doing. Some of, the, some of the parables in the New Testament are meant to illustrate, they are meant to clarify. But can you see from our passage today, that's actually not what Jesus is doing? It's very clear. That's actually not what Jesus is doing. In fact, what Jesus is doing here, it's exactly the opposite. He's doing the opposite thing. He's not using parables to clarify things. No, no. He's using parables to be deliberately obscure. That's his intention. So, unless people make the effort to come to Jesus for more information, they're not going to get it. They'll just miss out. It'll go right by them. They'll have no idea what Jesus is actually talking about. Jesus says, this is God's judgment on hard-hearted people. And if you think about that for a minute, it's quite disturbing. It's quite heavy. I mean, we hear people complain, right? Why isn't God clear enough? How come he doesn't make himself clearer? You know, people say things like, well, if God is real, why doesn't he make himself perfectly clear to everyone? Like, why doesn't he send angels and demons or something? Like, why, why isn't there writing in the sky? Or why doesn't he speak to us in dreams and visions? And why doesn't he reveal himself in a way that no one can deny? People say that. It's an interesting question, don't you reckon? Maybe you've asked it yourself. Maybe you've heard other people ask it. I've definitely asked it. Why doesn't God make himself clear? But can you see this passage actually raises a counter question? It actually raises a counter question. Here's the counter question. Why should God make himself abundantly clear? Why should God make himself known at all to hard-hearted, calloused, rebellious sinners? He doesn't owe us anything. Why should God reveal himself to people who disobey him, who don't worship him, who spit in his face, who ignore his word, who refuse to love him, people who don't acknowledge him? Why should God reveal anything to our rebellious race? He doesn't owe us anything. There's no reason why God has to reveal anything to anyone. God could just leave us alone, condemn us all to hell, and that would be fair. You want justice? That's justice. God will be fair and right in doing that. God's obscurity, him being cryptic, his obscurity, it's actually part of his judgment on humanity. That's a huge part of this passage. But praise God for his mercy because that's not the way it has to be. Praise God for his kindness because that's not the way it has to be. In Jesus, God has revealed himself. For those who do have ears to hear, information is available. Information about God is available. And Jesus goes on to talk about how good that is. Jesus talks about how blessed his disciples are, how lucky they are, for lack of a better term. Jesus says to his disciples, he says, guys, this stuff you're learning, this stuff that I'm about to explain to you, God's people have been waiting for thousands of years to hear this kind of stuff. This is the stuff that God's people in the Old Testament longed to know. They yearned for this, but they didn't get it. Look with me at verse 16 and 17. Verse 16, 17. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. And now Jesus gives the explanation. 
the explanation of the parable. Those four situations where the farmer sows his seed, they represent four different kinds of people. Four different kinds of people. Uh, four different kinds of people, and they represent the ways in which they respond or don't respond to the message about God's kingdom. The first kind of person, and we're going to go through all four. The first kind of person. The first kind of person, they don't get it. They don't get it. They don't understand. They don't have ears to hear. Their heart is hard to God's word. They're not interested in exploring further and asking questions and investigating. Like a path is hard to seed, their heart is hard to God's word, and so the devil takes it away, and that person ends up uninterested. No interest in God's kingdom. Look with me at verse 18 and 19. Listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. That's the first kind of person. Second kind of person. Second kind of person hears the message about God's kingdom and they look good to start with. They look good. They, they start off right. They're all keen. They're all eager. But somehow it doesn't sink in. It, somehow it doesn't go deep. Somehow it doesn't have a lasting, life-changing impact in their life. For some reason, they don't have what it takes to persevere, to keep going. And so, when the going gets tough, they throw in the towel. They give up. They tap out of Jesus. They stop following Jesus. They turn their back on him. Look with me at verse 20 and 21. This is the second kind of person. Verse 20 and 21. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they fall away quickly. That's the second kind of person. Third kind of person. The third kind of person hears the message, they take it in, they trust in Jesus, and they start to live for him, but then life gets busy. Life gets busy. All the worries of life, they take up the time, they take up mental space. Money dangles its deceitful lure, promising to make life worth living. And gradually, the message about Jesus, it gets choked out. It just gets choked out. The person's faith gets crowded out. Look with me at verse 22. Verse 22. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. That's person number three. The fourth person, the fourth and final person. The fourth and final person, they're, they're like good soil. They take in the message about Jesus, they let it sink in deep, and they let it change their lives. So we read, they're the kind of person that produces the fruit of repentance. They live fruitful lives. They take in the message, they let it sink deep, and therefore they produce fruit, fruit of repentance. We read some people produce a lot of fruit. Their whole life is transformed, and they go on to transform other people as well. They bring every area of their life under the lordship of Christ. Some people have lots of fruit. Some people produce less fruit. But the point is this. Each one of these people that are good soil, each one of them produce fruit, fruit of a life lived for the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, 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 
the farmer gets his crop. The farmer gets his crop. And in this way, God's kingdom is filled, filled with these kinds of people, for the people exactly for whom God prepared it. Look with me at verse 23. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. All right. We want to look at the rest of the parables next week. But can you see what's here in our passage today? This first parable, can you see it? This parable of the farmer sowing the seed into the four different kinds of soil, can you see it? It's very clear. The disciples say, Jesus, that was weird. Why are you being so obscure? Why are you being so cryptic? Why are you being so obtuse? And Jesus says, it's deliberate. It's God's judgment on people's hard-heartedness because all they get now is parables. That's all they get now. They don't get the explanation. They just get the parables. And then he explains the parable to his disciples, to those who left everything to follow him. The four kinds of soil represent four different kinds of people who respond differently to the message about the kingdom of heaven. All right. Friends, do you remember the question I asked earlier at the beginning of this sermon? Do you remember the question? I mean, to be fair, it was a bunch of questions. Sorry. Uh, But here's a question. If God is real, if Jesus is real, why are there only so few Christians? That's the question. Why do so many people reject Jesus? People in your workplace, people that live on your street, maybe your siblings, people that you study with, people that are on your sporting team, your closest friends. Why do so many people reject Jesus? The question is this, why doesn't God make himself irrefutably clear so that no one can reject him? The answer's here in this passage, isn't it? Why do so many people reject Jesus? Why do so many people give up? The answer is this, it's because of the kind of soil they are. It's because of the kind of soil they are. People reject Jesus because they are hard-hearted, like a path. People reject Jesus or give up on Jesus because they are shallow. They don't have deep roots. They don't have what it takes to persevere when times get tough. People give up on Jesus because they're so caught up with the worries of this life or maybe because they've been deceived by the false promises of money and stuff. Nothing wrong with Jesus, if you can see it. The sower is sowing the seed. Nothing wrong with Jesus. In addition, there's nothing wrong with the message about Jesus. The seed is capable to produce fruit. The seed is very able to produce fruit. Nothing wrong with Jesus. Nothing wrong with the message about Jesus. The issue is people. The issue is people. But friends, there's more to say. There's more to say because God could be clearer, because God could be clearer. He could make himself undeniable to everyone, but we see today that he deliberately doesn't. He deliberately leaves things obscure. He deliberately speaks here in parables. Why? Because it's a part of God's judgment on hard-hearted humanity. God doesn't owe us clarity. And in his judgment, he doesn't always give it. But there's even more to say. There's even more to say on this because the fact is, God's going to have his crop. Can you see that in the text? 
God is going to have his crop. The people that God has prepared for his kingdom, they will produce fruit. They will produce fruit. God's kingdom will come, and the people that he wants to be in, the people that he has preordained to be there, they will be there. It's not out of God's control. God's not panicking that people aren't coming to Christ. God knows exactly who will come to Christ. He's got it in his hand. It's like that glorious kids' church song. He's got the whole world. Where? In his hands. God knows exactly what he's doing. And church, I reckon this is good stuff to remember when we're trying to tell people about Jesus. Don't you think so? When you're trying to share the gospel with your friends this week, don't be surprised if they don't throw a party for you. You know what I mean? Like, Don't be surprised if they're like, oh, thank you for telling me. Please tell me how can I be saved? Can I be baptized? Please teach me the secrets of the kingdom. Don't be surprised if people don't react to the message of the gospel like that. Don't be surprised if people reject Jesus. Don't be surprised if the evidence that is so clear to you has zero impact on someone else. Don't be surprised. Not everyone has a heart to receive God's word. But again, God will have his people. The farmer will have his crop. There is good soil out there. There is good soil out there. So what do we need to do? Answer, we need to keep on sowing. We need to keep on talking. We need to keep on praying. We need to keep on giving. We need to keep on going and then leave the results up to God, the great farmer. We need to leave the results up to God because we're just spreading the seed. But the thing is, church, what this parable does is it also throws a question at us, doesn't it? This passage, it throws a question right back at us. While we're asking questions like, why do people reject Jesus? Why doesn't everyone believe? Why doesn't God make himself perfectly clear? Why is it so hard for people to trust Jesus? As we ask those questions, if you can see this passage, God actually flips the tables and he turns the question on us. The question is there for us. God's gonna have his kingdom. He's got everything under control. God will have his crop at the end of the day. Also, the seed is perfectly okay. It's very capable to produce fruit. The soil is perfectly okay. The question is, what kind of soil are you? That's the question this passage asks. So let me ask you, what kind of soil are you? Are you like the path? The seed that fell on the path? Do you have no understanding about the message of Jesus? Well, if that's you, let me say this. Good on you for being here. Good on you, seriously, for being here. You're in the right place. You're in the best place. This is the best place for you to be when you don't understand the things of Jesus. You're in the right place. Hopefully, if that's you, hopefully over time, as you join with us in worshiping our great God, as you listen week in and week out to God's word being explained, hopefully the message of Jesus will become clear to you. Hopefully it will become more and more clear to you. If it isn't, ask someone. Ask me. Ask someone. If the message about Jesus isn't clear to you, 
Talk to me about it. I want it to be clear for you. I'm working hard to try and make it clear to you week in and week out. But if not me, if you don't like me, that's fine. Talk to someone else. There's plenty of people in this room that would love to sit down with you and explain the kingdom of Jesus to you. There are plenty of people in this room that would be very happy to sit down with you, buy you a beer, and read the Bible together and take you through it. You know what? They're so keen for you to know more about Jesus, they'll do anything. I know these guys. They'll do anything. They'll explain it to you. They'll draw you pictures. They'll use colors. They'll draw charts and diagrams. They'll use memory verses. They'll do a song and a dance. They'll do everything to make the message of Jesus clear for you. All you gotta do is ask. So if the first soil is you, let me ask you this. Will you let the message of Jesus into your life? Or will you remain a hardened path? Because here's the thing. You can choose whether you're humble or proud. If not, what about this one? Let me ask, are you like the rocky soil? The second one, are you like the rocky soil? The seed that fell into the shallow, stony soil? In other words, have you allowed God's word to penetrate deeply, deeply, into your soul, into your heart? Have you actually thought the message about Jesus through? Have you thought it through for yourself? Not just someone else. Have you thought it through for yourself? Jesus is worth living for. Jesus is worth changing for. Jesus is even worth suffering for. Are you ready to face trouble and persecution for Jesus? In other words, if you're the second soil, let me ask, do you have what it takes to persevere no matter how hard Christianity gets, no matter how hard it gets following Jesus? Are you someone who's preparing yourself for persecution and opposition? I don't want to have a cheap shot at other churches, um, but as we were building our website for the other day, I was looking at other churches and I was looking at the doctrinal statement of another church on their website. And the doctrinal statement, it was excellent in many ways, but one of their statements really disturbed me. And the statement was this. It was a doctrinal statement, statement of faith on a, on a Sydney church. Uh, it's a large Sydney church. This is what really disturbed me. It said, we believe that God wants to heal and transform us so that we can live healthy and blessed lives in order to help others more effectively. Like I said, I don't want to have a cheap shot at other churches. We're on the same family. But if that's what you're teaching your people, that God wants you to have healthy and blessed lives, it does not strike me as being a place where you can produce good soil. Does that make sense? Can you see what I'm saying? It doesn't seem like that's the kind of place where your soil will be cultivated so that you can be fruitful. Because let me ask this, what happens when you do get sick? Seriously, if that's your theology, what happens when you do face suffering? What happens when you do face trouble and persecution that Jesus says you'll face? What will you do then? Church, we need to have a faith that is prepared, not for a life of health and blessing and material possessions from God. I hope you're not here because that's what you want from God. Uh, I hope you're not here because you think if you follow God, you're going to get a life of health and wealth and blessing from God. No, no. We need to have a faith that is prepared not for health and blessing, but we need to have a faith that's prepared for trouble and for persecution. I don't know if you can see the climate of our day, 
but it's not popular to be a Christian. Conversion therapy laws, SRE in schools. We live in a day where if you don't say that you're pro-rainbow or wear it purple day, whatever it might be, you will get opposed. It's just a fact. Yes, 30 years ago, it probably wasn't like that. But our age, as it drifts further and further away from Christendom, and it's not a bad thing, God's still in control, he's not panicky, as our society changes, the temperature is rising. In other words, if you're a Christian, and you're actually a like, genuine Christian, the world will not like you. They'll say, if you're a Christian, just shut up about your beliefs. I don't want to hear what you think about gender, or sexuality, or marriage, or authority, all these things. I'll just keep it to yourself, because this is where we are headed. We need to have a faith that's actually surprised about health and material blessings here on earth. We should be surprised at those things. We should have a faith that is surprised at those things. And at the same time, we should have roots that are growing deep, not easily pulled out. We should have roots that are ready for trouble, ready for tough times. All right, there's a path, there's a rocky soil, and then there's a thorny soil. Let me ask, are you like the thorny soil? the seed that fell among the thorns? I'll be honest with you. This number three. I think for many of us, dare I say most of us, I think this is it. I think for our church family, this third type of soil, it's the big danger, I think, for most of us, as far as soils go. Because let me say this, our lives are pretty crowded, aren't they? the worries of this life, let's be honest, they do take up a lot of mental space. They do take up a lot of our calendars, don't they? There is rarely a day for me when I'm not worrying about something. I worry so much that sometimes I worry and I don't even know what I'm worried about. And that worries me, you know? <laughs> like, it's dark. I worry so much. Do you remember what Jesus said back in chapter six of Matthew's gospel? He said, worry doesn't achieve anything. He says, all worry is, is it reflects our failure to trust God. Chapter six, remember? He said, this worry, it actually reflects an over-prioritizing of the things of this world. But the point here is this. We must not let our worries crowd out the message about Jesus. Third soil. I think that's a lot of us. We have to commit our worries up to God. The Apostle Paul says, do you remember what he said to the church in Philippians? He said, don't be anxious about anything. Remember that's what he said? Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Church, we cannot afford to let the worries of this life crowd out the word of God bearing fruit in our lives. We have to try and keep perspective Biblical perspective, godly perspective, eternal perspective. We have to keep perspective. We have to say, what am I worried about? We should ask that question more often. What am I stressed about? And how does this fit in with the big picture? Not just of this world, but of eternity. And in the light of that big picture, we've got to keep living for King Jesus. We've got to keep seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then what does he say? Everything else will be taken care of, right? We need to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Also, you remember Jesus talks about here the deceitfulness of wealth. Let me ask, are you someone that's being deceived by your wealth? 
the thing about money is this. You don't need much of it to be deceived by it. Is all your stuff talking to you and telling you lies? Is your bank account, your portfolio, are they talking to you, telling you lies, telling you that they can make you happy? Like seriously, do you think that the things that you have will bring you fulfillment in life? Like real joy and meaning and purpose? Do you honestly believe that having more is better and having less is crap? Do you actually believe that all your stuff will magically bring you joy, like real joy and meaning? Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Now, there's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with having lots of money. But don't let it deceive you with promises that it can't keep. In our marriage, Jane and I have a saying, um, and it's something we say whenever we've bought something nice. Well, actually, she doesn't say it. She's godly. I say it. Um, I'm the kind of person that if I want to buy something, I research it for like 12 months before I buy it. And some of you guys are like that too, right? So whenever I want something, like it's like a big purchase, you know, I've got to research it. So I'll read everything there is to read. You know, in all my spare time, I'm looking up reviews, you know, all this stuff, YouTube stuff. Um, and then eventually when I get the item, um, when I get the item, Jane will ask me, how are you liking your new, and then fill in the blanks, right? Your new boots, your new bag, your new iPhone, you know, watch, car, whatever it might be. How are you liking your new boots? And I'll respond by saying, Jane, I like my new boots, but they're not changing my life. I like my new thing, but it's not fixing up my broken life. And I say that as a reminder to myself that this brand new shiny thing, yeah, it's nice. Yeah, it's nice, but, but, but it's not going to fix up my life. It's not going to change me for the better. Friends, money can't fix your life. It certainly can't buy you eternal life. So don't be deceived. Don't let it choke out the message about God's kingdom. Don't spend your life, young people, don't spend your life chasing after a career that's going to bring you lucrative money for the money. Don't chase it. Don't chase it and then forget the word of God. Don't let money stop you from producing fruit for Jesus. Don't let money stop you from producing disciples for Jesus. Who are you discipling right now? Don't let money stop you from producing godliness for Jesus. How's your character growing the past month, the past year, the past five years? What's happening to the message about Jesus in your life? Has it been snatched up and eaten? Has it been scorched? Has it been choked out? Or is it producing fruit? Are you like good soil? It doesn't really sound like a compliment, right? But seriously though, are you dirty? Like are you dirty like that? Are you good soil? Is your life filled with good dirt? Is the message about Jesus changing you? Is every aspect of your life coming under the rule of King Jesus? Are you bearing fruit? If I ask your five closest friends, will they tell me that your life is fruitful? And just a quick note on this, I thank God when I pray for our church because there's so much evidence of good soil. There's a lot of dirty people in our church. 
I thank God. There are so many of you here right now, and I know your life, and I know what you've been through, and I know your story, and I know your ups and downs, and I see the fruit of repentance. I see the fruit of godliness. In the first couple of months, I didn't see it, but as I've journeyed with so many of you, I thank God for the perseverance that he's given you, for your desire to read God's word, for your Christ-likeness desire growing. I thank God for every evidence of fruit I see in this room among us. But having said that, real talk, church, there's still a lot of work to be done, right? It's still the challenge before us, isn't it? Friends, I think this parable fundamentally is an exercise in expectation management. It should not be a surprise to any of us if people reject Jesus. People are stubborn. People are proud. People are unrepentant. People are bad soil for God's kingdom, but it's not out of God's control. God knows those who are his. He will have his people. He will have his crop. And the question comes back to us. What kind of soil are we? Let's pray. Our gracious God and our loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ, that great sower of the seed. We thank you for the message about Jesus, which is able to produce fruit in our hearts. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are capable of understanding who Jesus is and what he has done. Lord, we pray that you would work in us by your Holy Spirit in such a way that we produce fruit for your kingdom. Help us, Lord, to live for your Son, our Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, all of us, to trust in him every day of our lives. Father, we pray that you'll help us to persevere in ourselves, sowing the seed by sharing the message about Jesus. And Father, that you'll help us to bravely, and lovingly keep on proclaiming the gospel as we leave the results up to you. These things we ask for Jesus' renown. Amen.